the Neon Confidential Podcast. Is this thing on? <laughs> Things are spicy today on Neon Confidential. We have Lauren Kit Carter, who you may have seen on the VH1 reality series, I Heart Nick Carter, which followed Lauren and Nick's engagement through to their wedding day. Or you might have seen her in the sci-fi film Dead 7, or maybe you've subscribed to her YouTube channel, KitBit, or perhaps you've seen her appear on the Instagram of her newest business venture, Crypto Cafe, which is a learn-to-earn platform and focuses on all things crypto and making the information easily digestible for everyone. Lauren truly has done it all, from raising three kids to being an entrepreneur and having what it takes to run a successful business, to being married to a Backstreet Boy, to investing in the stock market from a young age and how it led her to where she is now, and we get into all of it in this episode. We talk candidly about her journey dating and marrying Nick, and she opens up about their experience with miscarriages, and even finding out about their third child when she was six months pregnant. The story is such a trip and one that you have to hear to believe. We get into all of the juice, all of the tea, all of her tips on how to not give a fuck what anyone thinks, how she balances Eastern and Western medicine practices, and the importance of giving your all with anything that you decide to do in life. There was so much info, in fact, that we had to break it up into two episodes, and both are chock full of stories you don't want to miss. On that note, Lauren Carter, welcome to the Neon Confidential Podcast. I am so excited to have you on because I feel like the way the rest of the world knows you, or at least the first thing that they associate you with, is that you're married to a Backstreet Boy. But I've known you for a few years now, and I've always known you totally separate from Nick. So I've only known you as a businesswoman first. But you're also a mother of three. You're a wife of one of the most famous people on the planet. And you've done some acting. Yeah, You've had a stint in the workout video industry. And yes. now you run a massive company. So I feel like you really do it all, but I want to go way back to your childhood. Were you always an overachiever? No. Um, I mean, yes, I guess you could say yes, but it didn't. Overachieving can go both ways. You can overachieve to doing bad things. So in totally. my youth, I was an overachiever of being a bad kid <laughs> and I was really good at it. Um, I rebelled the system in every way possible of schools um sports i'm very tall i was always trying to get uh recruited for basketball and sports and very athletic and i just was not a sporty person um and so yeah i was an overachiever but until i shifted my perspective and until i focused on what makes me happy and what i want for my life um that didn't serve me so well a lot of times if i'm talking to entrepreneurs or a lot of entrepreneurs we've had on the podcast they always have this like rebellious stint and it's almost like you get all of that stuff out of the way from an early age that way you're able to be hyper focused on you know like you said kind of using it for a good yeah and also as an entrepreneur you have to be used to chaos you have and to be willing to take risks totally and you have to work for free uh -huh. and you have to um not be afraid to right. fail um right. i actually enjoy failing. I've learned the most out of life by my failures. So I never even look at them as like, oh, this is negative and I failed. It's like, oh, one more process in which I've learned not to do something like that this time or to ch switch it around or change or find a new way or a different path. Um, I really 
shift my thinking in everything in life where you say something's black I'm like it's white or if you say this is bad oh no I actually look at this as good and I try to spin it when you were younger if you had that rebellious streak that you kind of learned from that way you know when if you get too caught up in something bad that's happening then you can kind of keep on that path so what do you think made you kind of zap yourself out of that era that's a good question um I was kind of like sick of fighting for all the wrong reasons, like rebelling for what? Why, why am I skipping school? And um, but so here's an example. I, I dropped out of school when I was 15, but I dropped out to take a high school equivalency. Back then, uh, it wasn't a GED. It was like, did you have the knowledge that is equivalent to your high school? And if you did and you passed the test, you could just go to junior college, which I did. So even though to the outside world, I dropped out of school. I never got a, a high school diploma. I dropped out because I had gained enough knowledge to pass a test to go straight to college. I didn't need those extra You years. were one of those like smart nerds that like never had to study for anything. <laughs> I, I don't know if I was a smart nerd, but I was, um, I was able to cheat the system, I think. I think I was able to just like, or hack the system, like um, being able to to take a test and to understand what, what the questions are being asked and to write them out in a certain way served me. And I don't know if whether or not I knew everything I needed to know in calculus or everything I needed to know for social studies, but I bullshitted my way to passing the test to just going into college where you get to choose what it is you want to learn. And I think for me, that was one of the big things is I hated traditional school because you can't really choose Totally. Like, that's why we have calculators. And then that's why, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then that's why in college, when you're able to take those elective courses, that's when schooling kind of clicked for me, where I was like, oh, wow, like, I get to learn about something I am naturally interested in. Like you said, it's like, they don't teach us how to do taxes or anything like that. And Balance your checkbook. Totally. And when you get in the Not real world. stupid loans. Exactly. Spend money on stupid shit. Exactly. So I feel like that's that kind of served you well that you kind of hacked the system right yeah and I also school wasn't serving me in the way that I wanted I wanted to work so I got a wor worker's permit because you had to get if you're under a certain age in California I was born in Southern California in a place called Arcadia California and my family moved a lot all, all over Southern California and I wanted to work so I had to get a worker's permit and I, my first job was at Starbucks as a barista and I'm like, oh, cool, I'm making money. This is actually producing something where school is, to me wasn't serving me. It wasn't, it doesn't, it didn't do anything for me. It just annoyed me and I couldn't focus. I hated going to classes. I hated getting up early, but for, for work, I'd get up early and work because I'm getting something in return that at the time I felt. Obviously school is important, but for me, it didn't, it didn't, serve me well. When you said that you were moving around a lot, do you think that had anything to do with why you felt like unsettled and not able to focus? Were you in different schools every time probably. you moved? Yeah, probably. My parents divorced when I was young and I switched every other year between every the, the two parents. And so let's say I was in third grade at this school, then I'd go to fourth grade in a whole different city and a whole different district and then fifth grade and then switch, 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 switch. So I really... Uh, went everywhere and maybe that could be a reason why I didn't like it um that's but, tough yeah but I also um I didn't have the support back then to really study and grow my parents were super young when they had me they were they were children raising children how old um, are my mom was 17 and my dad was 20 um like I just turned 40 my dad's 60 
My mom's wow. like 58. Wow. <laughs> or 57. Um, and so they were still like growing up. Like I remember celebrating my parents' 30th birthday, like with all their friends. How old were you on your parents' 30th? Um, I was 10. That's crazy. Yeah, they were like babies. And that's, I think too, when we get older, we always, I think people realize that their parents were just trying to do the best that they could. Like when we're small, we kind of look at them as like they're heroes. They can't do any wrong. And a lot of times the way that you're raised, especially if there's chaos in your household, like that is a chaotic situation. You're moving around. You just think that that's normal. And then once you grow up and you look back and you have, you know, even if you have a family like you do now, you're like, everyone's just trying their best. You yeah. know, you gotta... Life, life doesn't come with a manual. No. Um, I wish it did because it would be a lot easier. Um, I, I, I read somewhere, I heard somewhere that um, most people who have found, or entrepreneurs or people who have found success have gone through a certain amount of trauma in their life and a certain amount of trauma that serves them, not like to the detriment of that they get hooked on drugs or take a really bad turn in life or never get out of that the right amount of trauma helps them to persevere through life like if everything's easy and everything's handed to you and everything just comes so naturally and without any bumps in the road those people don't really necessarily ever achieve anything great or um ever risk anything or try anything and so i i do know that a certain level of trauma in that person's life makes them um, more outstanding uh, producers in the future and you know especially I keep kind of going back to this like chaos because I kind of came up from a background too where it was just very chaotic in our household at all times um, that I crave a sense of stability and I'll do anything to get that and to make things that way you know and it kind of sounds the same that mm -hmm, I mean sure because you've been how long have you been married for now oh my gosh um We've been together 15 years. I think we've been married since 2018. I'm sorry, since 2013. We've been married twice, so it's confusing. We got married in 2013 the first time. Y'all got married twice, like just like a vow renewal? Or no. So uh, when we were planning our wedding, we were doing a reality show called I Heart Nick Carter for VH1. Nick was on a world tour, um, and we we run on the Backstreet Boys um train like everything is scheduled and then for Backstreet Boys and then personal has to come after because like they're just, dates and everything. that's just the way it is like we sur we survive off of Backstreet Boys so um our wedding dates kept getting pushed back our filming schedule was all chaotic so we got off a plane from Japan on tour one day in October of 2013 we were living in Tennessee at the time and we got off the plane after a really long flight and Nick's like our date had gotten pushed back again and he's like you know what let's just get married I just want to marry you he's like let's go down to the the clerk's office today and get a license and I have a friend who's a civil servant who can marry us and so we did that you we were like, like for it when he said it were you like no I don't know no, were you like I hell no no let's we were like let's do it we went to Jared's and we got bands like little gold plain bands love it at like a um small little shopping center um got the paperwork met a friend in their um at their office went in the backyard of the office and got married just the two of us with a couple witnesses and then went to a local bar and had food and a drink and we were married I feel like that is a real love story like as beautiful as weddings are and these giant extravaganzas and there's a lot of planning and and obviously you know as there are some girls that dream about that day to me like 
for instance, we had a wedding chapel client and the, the wedding chapel is right across the street. So one of one of the times, I think it was like National Military Day or something. And there was two people that drove from Texas from a military base to get married. And like, it's a very small chapel and she was not wearing a wedding dress and had on like jeans. And I've never seen two people look at each other more in love than those two people were. And I was just thinking to myself, watching that happen, I'm like, if there's going to be a couple that goes all the way, I'd put my money on them. Like yeah. speaking of watching something like that in Vegas. So I love that story. And I had no idea that yeah. you guys did that. And we did it because going back to what you said about stability and taking control is we took control of our future in that moment. We decided we're, we want to marry each other. We want to be together for the rest of our lives. We're going to do it on our own terms and, and have no one else involved and just do it for ourselves. And then we did eventually have a big bang out wedding um, a year later, um, in 2014. Um, and, but that was, it was, it was still for ourselves to show it to our family and friends. Right. And we still kept our wedding really small. It was under a hundred people. Um, we've always maintained weddings are a big deal and so much shit happens with weddings and it's so costly, but we made it a point like, what's our goal? Well, it's to marry each other and have our family and friends a part of it. But if they weren't a part of the love story, then they weren't invited or weren't a part of the wedding. I like that. So we kept, we had very strict boundaries and we did the wedding the way we wanted to and we loved it. That makes a lot of sense. Like even people that you're friends with in high school, like I've been to some weddings like that where I've been asked to stand in a wedding and I didn't even know the groom. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I, I'll be there for my girl and support no matter what. But I love that as a boundary that like, if to if they weren't part of both of y'all's love story, then you're just not makes the invitation list so much easier, I bet. Yeah. Um, and, and too, like, it, even some family members weren't invited and some great friends just because um, my my I say this a lot, but my love is unconditional. I have unconditional love. That's how I lead my life. But my energy is conditional. I um, my love that. My, oh my so you can love someone unconditionally, and you could want the best for them and and want to help them in every way possible. Unconditional love, conditional boundaries. I love that. So how you know? Two questions here. The first one. And kind of these two are going to piggyback off of each other. You know, I want to know how you and Nick met, but also like knowing, because I know this story, but the way that I kind of found out about it, I think we were like on a, we were probably golfing at our, the, the breast cancer golf tournament. This year we're going as the Spice Girls, the everybody. Pink Sea <laughs> charity event at Southern Highlands Golf. Club. I'm going to be baby spice and you're going to be, what's posh? You're going to be posh. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're going to be posh. So um, I don't really want to do it. So I'm not really in the group. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria Beckham AF. I do support the charity. I just, we have to perform and it's this whole thing. And I'm, I'm not the performer. I'm the person in the background. It's a whole thing every year. Last year, we really did our best too. We did. Like we had so many rehearsals. What did we do last year? We were bunnies. Playboy bunnies. Yeah. And then people said that we were too sexy. sexy. Yeah, it's we, for charity. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let us live. But we were so, bringing attention to the cause. Exactly. And we did a damn good job mm -hmm. of bringing attention to it. So I think it was during that golf tournament that I kind of heard this story that you didn't even know who the Backstreet Boys were. I knew who they were. Okay. Obviously, um, I had heard the name. Like right. I had heard the name NSYNC or I'd heard the name uh, like some, some, I mean, they were pop icons for growing up. So you heard them. But I 
grew up as you know going back to like the rebellious person that I was like I was probably the antithesis of that genre like I grew up listening to K-Rock um like you know no doubt um Soundgarden Alice in Chains like rock heavy metal yeah um ska punk and so that type of music was like bubblegum compared to like rock and I made fun of the people that listened to that music. Do you know what I mean? Where my patches on my backpack were probably Nirvana and Marilyn Manson and other people had their NSYNC or Backstreet Boys or Britney Spears stuff. And other people had your husband's poster on their walls. Yeah. And then, so you weren't that. Like, no. Did you have posters on your wall of anybody like Kurt Cobain? I or did. I did, but it was like Nine Inch Nails or um, Marilyn Manson um, and... I loved Marilyn Manson and I loved that album, um, A Beautiful People and was a little skater chick. Um, and so that was kind of like my vibes back then. I mean, they say opposites attract. So yeah. that makes total sense to me. But how did you and Nick get introduced then if he, you kind of like weren't in each other's ether? So um, I had, uh, I lived in Japan for three years, a long, for a pretty long time. And then after that, I lived in France um, and then San Francisco. And uh, after I moved from back to the States was when I went back to San Francisco. Wait, why did you live out of the country? Um, when I was 21, I got a, I was in veterinary medicine. I was a surgical technician. And um, I, we hosted Japanese doctors um, at our hospital. And uh, Japanese doctors would come to learn our techniques and hospital policies, et cetera. And um, I was charged with showing these people around. Didn't speak a word of English. They didn't. Uh, I didn't speak a word of Japanese. They didn't speak a word of English. But somehow I was able to give them all the information they needed and help them for their week that they were at the hospital. At the end of that, the owner was like, "I'd love to bring you to Japan to help implement this work style and these practices in Japan." Wow! And so that set off um, this whole journey for me to move to Japan and to work in veterinary medicine there. So that makes sense for two things for me. Now I understand why you speak Japanese yeah. because I've heard you speak Japanese before. Uh, and now I also know why you love animals so much. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that was a the background there. Yeah. Cool. So how long did you live in Japan? Three years. Wow. Yeah. So did you feel fluent when you left? I feel like three yes. years is a, is a long enough time. Yes. When I would, when I came back to the States, um, I had Japanese mannerisms, the way that I moved and spoke and reacted. Like you, you become that culture, totally. especially where I lived, I was fully immersed. Um, and back then it was 2003. Um, it wasn't very common for where I lived. I was the only, they call them gaiji. And I would commute into Tokyo um, and, and go back to Saitama. But um, no one spoke English around me. None of my coworkers did. My boss spoke a little bit. So I just like had to figure it out. So when I, I did a study abroad program and when I found out that you could get your, cause my major was communications. And once I found out that you could get your foreign language studies, two years of it in six months, I was like, done. I'm going to go to Argentina for six months, like jokes on them. And then my first day in class after you leave the classroom and I lived with a family. So the same thing, my family did not speak any English. So you're forced to learn. But basically after class, I went to go get a coffee and I realized very quickly that the joke was on me because like the whole city is a classroom. Like that's why you mm -hmm. get two years of credits. Like you are earning that mm -hmm. while you're there because 
two years of credits in six months when you're literally constantly speaking the language, not just going to class for an hour and speaking it. So when I came back from Argentina, just six months, I was probably like, I'd say 60 to 70% fluent. Um, that fades really fast if you don't practice mm -hmm. it. But three years, I bet you were like able to totally communicate. And then did you have culture shock coming back to the States? Um, a little bit. Um, I found that when I when I was fluent is when I started dreaming in other languages. Wow. Just started thinking in Japanese and responding in Japanese and then dreaming in Japanese is when I really was like, oh shit, I'm like, I'm Japanese. I think I'm dirty Japanese. <laughs> I really think so. Okay, yeah. so you come back from Japan. So, uh, so come back to Japan, go to France for a little bit, work there, come back. I'm in, um, meanwhile, coming back and forth, like I had friends and I still... Uh, in the states and i would come back and hang out and um meet people and make friends and during one of these times of like from france to san francisco i met um nick's sister her name's angel and um we had like met like i lived uh, like back then it was like hollywood and sunset like you know going to clubs and meeting club friends back in the day uh she was a girl that i met um, like in passing through other friends. But that was still like home for you because you grew up in Southern California? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then met her, hung out a few times and we were just friends and I knew she was related to the Backstreet Boys but that really wasn't anything for me. It was She was a really lovely girl and we had um, mutual friends and we ended up hanging out because of that. So then moved to San Francisco, was in San Francisco, came back and was in between jobs. At the time I um, left a corporate job and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I, this goes back to school. It's like you can go to school and think that you want to be one thing for the rest of your life and then think, realize that that's not what you want to do for the rest of your life. Right. And that's kind of where I was. I wanted to get out of medicine. I wanted to get out of what I was doing. And um, did it just not it feel like it just wasn't sitting right with you anymore? I wasn't what making was as much money as I wanted to. Uh -huh. I wanted bigger i wanted i wanted to achieve more mm -hmm. uh, i i knew there was going to be a cap at what i was doing unless yeah. i opened my own practice became a veterinarian which i wasn't i was a vet tech um that just wasn't it wasn't enough for me i was a always wanted more striving for more so came back and i was working at louis vuitton on rodeo drive because i speak japanese um i was Fun. put in a very specific department to help with our asian customers during that time uh, mutual friends were like, hey, you should really meet Angel's brother and hang out, like, you know, go on a date. And for months, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm like figuring myself out and <laughs> all figuring out what I want to do. I want that question asked yeah. to them. And you were like, nah, <laughs> it just wasn't. Um, it. I just I was assuming and I, I had had a lot of preconceived notions about what that would look like or what that would be. And totally. and he wasn't necessarily uh, the type of guy that I was um, interested in or even in even looks wise. Like he just I, at the time I was still very young. I was 25 and just figuring myself out like your 20s are the hardest years of your life oh my god that's how, that's how I feel I do I think that way too and it's almost like when you enter your 30s even mid I think it's mid took me to mid 30s where you just kind of wake up and you're like all the shit that you're stressed about or you've been stressed about you're like why mm -hmm. am I doing that it takes you know so you had like another 10 years to really figure stuff out but what kind of what kind of guys did you date before funny enough when I lived in Japan was like celibate for three years because I'm like 
six foot, practically, I'm 5'11 and three quarters. Um, and I wear heels all the time. So I'm big. And in Japan, the average height is like not very tall. And um, again, I was a foreigner and different cultures, different everything. I didn't date for three years. During those three years, I fell in love with myself. Right. I was just thinking that. I'm like, that I learned gives you the time. Be with me. Right. And I think that that's so important because once you love yourself and you're okay with being alone and being with just you, you can then be with someone else right because it doesn't matter you're you're not you're not going to be in a codependent relationship or your your happiness isn't dependent on whether or not you are in a relationship so even though you you know met nick at a young age going back to when you're on rodeo drive you had that like leg up you had like three years to yourself a lot of people in their 20s don't take Mm -hmm. like i mean in my 20s i was and, you know, three back-to-back serious relationships and I wasn't ever by myself. So mm-hmm. that's, that makes a lot of sense. So you go back and you said, they said you should meet Angel's brother. And yeah. you were like, no. Um, for, so I, I was, um, yeah, hesitant for a long time until one day uh, it was like out of my control because I didn't have a car because I had moved back to the States and I, I was using the t- public transportation to get to work. Like I took a bus. Like I'm a very... Um, down girl like whatever it takes to get to do what I need to do is what I do right I don't care what anybody thinks like yeah I I I had my own little apartment um on Hollywood and Wilcox and I took the bus to Rodeo Drive to get to work because I didn't have a car I didn't want to buy a car I was saving money to buy a house and I whatever I did what I needed to do right and um so my girlfriend picked me up from work one day because she was going to take me home and uh she's like oh we're not going home we're gonna go to my friend's house for barbecue she's like yeah so she literally drove me to nick's apartment in santa monica and i'm like oh my gosh she's like can you just go can you be my wingman i'm like because at the time she was dating his brother and um i'm like okay fine but like three hours and then i'm out so that's it so we get there and she leaves (gasps) <gasps> oh she like i just like package deliver done and i'm left at the apartment um i'm introduced to him and at the time i remember this so vividly because i feel like phones mark even for me pagers like mark a time in where we are in the world so yeah. i remember in being introduced to him and he was like flipped his phone off because it was that side the, the side you know oh my god <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay. So we're, he's a sidekick and I have a Blackberry Pearl. Cool. We're like, I do too. I had a Blackberry Pearl as well. <laughs> I'm like, you can't BBM me. Um, and I'm like, oh, he's got a sidekick. Okay. Uh, whatever. Um, and was introduced to him. We shook hands and they, they left. We were gone and we were like, looked at each other and we're like, it is what it is. Let's like hang out. So you weren't like, how am I getting home? You're like, I'll just figure it out. Like this is, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm a good friend. Um, and so we were sitting on his balcony and, uh, we just were like, you know what, look, this is obviously a setup. I go, did you know I was coming? He's like, yeah. And he's like, they said that, you know, they were gonna, we were gonna have a barbecue or hang out. He's like, but they obviously left. And I'm like, look, it is what it is. Like, let's hang out and make the best of it. Totally. And we were sitting on a balcony and, um, where he lived, you could see the, the Pacific ocean. Um, and we just started talking and hours, it felt like forever, but hours went by where it was dark now and we're talking and, um, everything was super easy, super casual, super, like it wasn't hard to communicate to each other. And 
there was a moment in the conversation where we just saw a couple of shooting stars back to back and there was Ooh, a pause I in got the goosebumps. conversation and we were like we looked at each other and we had like this moment of like eyes locking and Ooh, that was weird like both of us at the same time were feeling some sort of way but not just the shooting stars you guys were like this is this the, is something yeah this is like maybe everyone was right and we should have met because the, we are so alike and we have so many of the same interests and we click and it was just like stars are aligning yeah, stars like, are falling it was, like it was really weird so we looked at each other and then we kind of were like oh do you want let's he's like do you want to go inside and get something to drink and like watch a movie and like yeah okay so they snowed out back we didn't know where they went and um the movie we watched was big with tom hanks <laughs> the little mini cor the cornish yeah shots classic um and i remember sitting on his couch and he was like he did like one of these oh like, my god you know like is this our, if you like, were a pirate would you wear your parrot on this yeah. shoulder or this shoulder and he's like is this okay if i put my arm on you I'm like yeah um i cool. love this and um and at this point is he like he's selling out stadiums like is this like the pinnacle of the backstreet boys um, no, I, I, this would have been, we met in 2008. So I don't think, I think, um, this was kind of an even space for them in their career. Got I know it. at the time Kevin wasn't in the group because, mm -hmm. um, when I was introduced to everybody, it was just the four Backstreet Boys. And I didn't at, at that time even realize there was a missing member because I didn't know. You didn't I knew of them. the Backstreet Boys, but I didn't know like anything. You weren't a fanatic like every no. other girl in the nineties no yeah um and so they were on tour i remember they were on um a tour cycle for um unbreakable which was an album they did without kevin and they were on that tour cycle and then from there they went on what they was called an nkotbsb which was a joint tour with new kids on the block and that was a huge stadium uh world tour um which was a crazy and kind of like my introduction into pop fandom stardom fandom like getting introduced to that world but no I didn't realize I knew of the Backstreet Boys but I didn't realize what that meant yet I didn't I, ha I was so naive um I didn't realize that when you step out with someone who's famous because I'm from LA it's like you see famous people all the time I'm I guess I was jaded by like oh yeah there's Robert De Niro cool um right it's I, not like it's not weird to be in the same restaurant with several celebrities I've never ran up to someone and asked for an autograph right I've never like stopped to talk to someone in a store like running into Nicole Kidman or like growing up in LA and around LA that's just kind of normal if you're from Los if you're from Los Angeles I could see that being um like something crazy if you're not from there uh I never even went to like um Hollywood Boulevard to look at the stars right or, do any of the Hollywood like tourist things because you're from there like we live in Vegas we don't really do a lot of the Vegas stuff I that's right <laughs> yeah like when people are like oh you're from Vegas what casino do you live in you're do like you, oh my god you Cirque du Soleil I'm like no I haven't <laughs> like they don't people don't realize that if like we don't have to be out which I do a lot for my job I don't like if someone comes into town and they don't tell me perfect mm -hmm. Like, yeah no I don't want to go to the club with you um no. so when I've never been to the Las Vegas sign we'll put it that way I I did I went after the Grammys and it was like a, a whim thing because a group of us who are all from Vegas were talking we've never been there so we all took a limo and went there and it was kind of for fun but again that's not abnormal here for mm -hmm. people that are from Vegas to not 
go. So I totally get that. I, I love staying the night. Nothing happened. Totally PC. He was like, you can sleep. I can sleep on the couch. You can sleep in the bed. And he was such a gentleman. Um, the next morning she was there. I guess they came in late and um, he was like, can I have your number? Is it okay if I call you? Because he was leaving to go sing the national anthem at um, a... I also don't know anything about sports. Probably Dodgers game. It, it would no. It was New York for the Yankees in their playoff series or something. Okay, like World and, Series. World probably. Series. There okay. you go. <laughs> Goal. Um, go sports. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And so he's like, when I call, when I come back, can I call you? I'm like, yeah. So he leaves. I leave. Go home. Um, obviously, my girlfriend's like, how did it go? I was like, it's cool. We just hung out. Yeah, he's super nice. Um, do you, you know, I think we're going to see each other again. It was awesome. And um, cut to, I think, I don't even remember. Maybe it was four days, three days later. Um, I get a phone call and he's like, hey, can I come over? And I had uh, moved and lived on my, uh, my own house on Orange Avenue in um, Orange and Melrose in Los Angeles. And I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll be there in like five minutes. And he literally was there in five minutes. He'd come from the airport in his car service to my house. And he was like thinking about you the entire time and like could not wait to see you. And, I love and back then too, it wasn't like we were in constant communication. Um, yeah, you you text messaged, but not like today. Right. And, and I was working, he was working. It was like we had, you got mom, you had time to miss each other and to like think about things before just immediately immersing yourself in another person right so it built up a lot of like um i don't know if the word's foreplay or or it just built just up a lot of yeah i think too when you that was the time when you had to text and you had to hit like each thing three times right to get to the letter it was a lot of <laughs> like work. texting was not it <laughs> and then he didn't have the blackberry yet so we couldn't bbm so it was a lot of work right so and then he came to my house and then um we we just took it from there we took it really slow and we're friends and we both um at the time made it a point in our conversations getting to know each other like um you know let's take things slow and see what happens because i think our feelings were overwhelming for one another that it scared us both right so so that we actually took time to cultivate a friendship and to get to know each other right before like going into being in a sexual relationship or you know um Get, being intimate and we did we took a for for what i thought was a long time um a few weeks i don't know i just felt like we took a while to get to know each other before that's we not, actually yeah got that's intimate. like that snail pace in today's society like normally you like meet people and you like hook up pretty immediately and i've always wondered if there's going to be a cultural shift from people getting away from that because i have heard that the best relationships last from doing what you guys did which clearly you've been married for a while now mm -hmm. and building that foundational friendship first because that's what everything's going to come back to you know i would want that for my children you know to get to know someone first because um sex is a small part of a relationship that's right in my opinion you have to like being with the person you're with like they they should be the person that you want to call first when you have something to talk about or good news or you're going through something or like your partner in life the person whose shoulder you can cry on no matter what i've witnessed that you and nick are that way with each other and you will take the time if all the girls are like out and whatever and he has something to say you'll step out and talk to him mm -hmm. and i love that 
Like you guys are definitely a source of like foundation and strength for each other. And I can definitely see that as an outsider. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you guys are taking things slow. And then what was like the the time when you... He, could- he left to go on tour and he called me and he said, um, hey, can do you want to meet me on tour? And I was like, okay, what does that mean? And he's like, I'm in Canada. Um, I'm staying at this hotel. This is my room number and I'll leave a key for you at the front desk. So I flew there. Um, by the way, I paid for myself um, because <laughs> I was also very in. No, but I was very oh, independent. You wanted like, to wanted to like show that I'm here because I want to be, not because I'm being like tr- you know uh, a sugar daddy or um, being wined and dined. Like I wanted to be. Still, we weren't in like a fully committed relationship. I'm. I wanted to be like. All right, I'll I'll come out and I'll take care of it myself because we're friends. He really respected that too. I I. I think so because he was like kind of like what <laughs> you know, you're like no I I got like, I'll, it. I'll pay my own way it's okay love it um be, and then too at getting to know him um so many people wanted things from him all the time they still do um everyone's on the payroll when I met him everyone um he's the caretaker breadwinner for everybody in his life at that time and so I wanted to not be that person. I wanted to not be a dependent. I wanted to be an independent who's there to support him. I wonder if he even saw that, you know, when he was immersed in that. It's like growing up famous like that. You can't really see when you're in the thick of something like that. And I bet as an outsider coming in, you were able to like, you probably had radars going off. You could tell when people were like using yeah. him. And even today, you know, you have to, it sucks to be in a place where you have to question why people would want to be friends with you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it does if but I bet that you're good at sniffing out when something's not genuine yeah so when when you ask the question like you know what did you know what you were stepping into no but once I got there I'm like this is a whole new world like I was like this is crazy um so met him at the uh, hotel we hung out and um we decided that, you know, we wanted to take our relationship to the next level. And it, we did. And it was fabulous and amazing and great. Um, I remember leaving to go on his tour bus and security said, um, let us take Lauren out first through the back of the hotel and cover her and put her on the bus. Holy shit. And I remember he was sitting there and... I, I was like, what? Why why do I have to be? Covering? So I said that. I was like, why do I have to sneak on the bus? And they're like, because there's fans outside and there's a barricade and we don't want them to attack you. And we don't want like, you know, we don't want it known that yet that you no know, Nick has a girlfriend or that you guys are together. It just it's just easier and co- less complicated. And I'm like, at the time, I just was like, OK, I guess this is a protocol. I didn't really understand it yet. So snuck on the bus. Um, they still saw me because you have to get in the front of the bus, and all these, you know, everyone's taking pictures, and you could see the girls like, "Who is that?" You know. And um, I remember Nick at the time also looking at a security guard like, "Are you serious? Like, do I have to do it this way?" But again, this was just protocol. So I got on the bus, and um, it was crazy. Like, girls are screaming, and and they had literally a barricade set up so they couldn't come over while we were getting on the bus I got on and then I'm sitting there just waiting and all of a sudden I hear screaming like screaming going crazy and it's him walking out and going to the bus and I was like oh okay so that's how that works um got on the bus and he's like 
you know, all disheveled because, you know, people are grabbing him and screaming and he's just rushing to get on the bus. And so that was my first um, experience with the fans and like seeing how fandom goes. And then it's probably just like there's a scene from have you ever watched The Bear, the (laughs) show about it's a chef show. And oh, I've heard of it, but no, I haven't seen it. There's this scene on the very like last season, last episode where they're going from like a grand opening, like into the kitchen where it's just chaos. And that's what that, that scene just reminded me of. Like, I bet you like when, once you all got on the tour bus, it went from like a deafening scream to just like silence. And you're probably just like, whoa. Like, oh, they were the still hell? like pounding on the bus and slapping on it as we're trying to drive away. He's like, sorry about that. And and because there's like no manual, like how do you introduce this girl you're just, cult, you know, like a yeah, relationship with to this world? She's got to like rip the bandaid off. And so that was that was that was the first experience with fans. And for a while I was um, kind of kept not a secret, but just kept away from being exposed and more for my own safety and more for my own anonymity then um, because I was supposed to be the secret. Right. It wasn't like a PR stunt, especially with the now emergence. I'm kind of jumping ahead here uh, with social media. It's like now there's a whole new avenue for people to, you know, kind of sink their claws into you situation. Because, I mean, I've seen too, just from living here in Las Vegas, if Nick's like hired to do an event or something, that there's still like, there's still those fans. And actually we went together to a, a Backstreet Boys concert where were they performing at um, Planet Hollywood? Zappos yeah, Theater. Yeah, and Planet Hollywood. And just the amount of people that had their eyeballs on you was like a really weird moment for me. And then I, I feel like social media is a whole new avenue. Do you get any of like trolls or people? Do you feel like it's positive? Do you feel like there's people that say negative stuff? What's that like? So when our relationship started in 2008, um, the first time I felt like the impact of that was we were at my dad's house. Um, we, the day before we had gone to the Grove, which is a really famous place in Los Angeles. It's like an outdoor indoor shopping center. And, um, it's, we went to Barnes and Noble and we were leaving, going back to the car. And that was my first experience with paparazzi. They like popped out of the bushes and started taking all these crazy pictures and we were both like in gym clothes like looking like hot mess and um and i didn't think anything of it i'm like oh they're taking pictures of him and okay fine cool and the next day we were at my dad's house and our phone started blowing up blowing up like crazy and i'm like what's going on and i had all these random people texting me going oh my god you're with nick carter and i'm like what do you how do you what are you talking about and then we saw that Perez Hilton had posted that back then Perez Hilton was a big, huge deal. Yeah. Like he was drawing on everybody. And I'm friends with Perez. He knows all this. He's coming on the podcast <laughs> next week. And like, I, we're so, friends. We're friends. And um, yeah, but I, but I know it's like the juxtaposition of like who he was back then. Like he, to me, is like a, a total example of how you can reform and change yourself. Oh, because he was he the wasn't, original troll. He wasn't he nice. It. Right. <laughs> He's okay. not that way yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, so this article came out and um, at the time that I met Nick, I was, uh, I, I was, what I was like an ugly duckling. That's how I would describe myself. Like I was awkward 25 year old still trying to like figure out what what who I am what what are my vibes etc and I was overweight 
I wasn't the typical girl I think that everyone expected Nick to be with. And so I got a lot of backlash. So that was what was the big news story was how could Nick Carter seems to have upgraded himself and downgraded his girlfriend? I think that was the title of the article. Ugh. And you're still impressionable at that age. Like the the things that like we're talking about when you get your mid 30s, you kind of just stop giving a shit what other people think. But like not when you're 25, you hear those uh, things and it's like terrible. Yeah. But I have this I have this weird superhero power where um, I really never, ever gave a fuck. I just don't have any fucks to give. I love it. And I've never given a fuck. My reaction <laughs> was, and then people were like, oh my God, I can't believe he did this, whatever. And I'm like, uh, what, what? Okay, that's their opinion. They're allowed to have this opinion. I was more like, I can't believe people care. I can't believe people care this much. And so that was reading the comments. They were super crazy, hateful. Uh, and I was more like, okay, well, these people don't know who I am and they have a point. I could lose a few LBs. I know. Uh, but my also, outfit's horrible. I know. But even but even though that happened and they caught you at a bad moment, and of course that's like your debut and you're just not looking and feeling your best, the fact that, again, you two had that foundational kind of friendship where you're like, I'm not in it for the reasons why any of these people who care would be. Like, we are friends and y'all have a solid foundation so when that happened when nick and i were at my dad's house and it was like it was huge in that moment in time and i remember him sitting me down and he's like i'm really sorry um he's like this is how it is and i didn't you know i didn't expect i i didn't you know know that this article was going to come out and it was going to be this much news press or psych or it wasn't going to be this big of a news deal but it right. ended up being like a huge thing and um, he he very graciously sat down and explained to me, like, now we're together and we are, let's imagine we're in a fishbowl and we live in this beautiful little fishbowl together. And on the outside, we're still in the water, but there's sharks swimming around our fishbowl and we're together. Wow. And as long as we're in our fishbowl together, it doesn't really matter what's happening on the outside. And I really appreciated that moment that he took um, to, you know, sit me down and be like, look, this is how it is and we can't control it. But, you know, you lean on me and I lean on you and it we'll, doesn't matter what anyone puts out. That's awesome. That y'all, And that's such a good um, metaphor for explaining how it is. Like, especially as a publicist, I have to arrange photographers. I would liken it to like animals in a zoo cage or something. And I feel like we're just like on the outside and, and I know those people, like I know their heart, I know their soul. And the way that other people just treat them as like, it's such a pedestal. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, they say never meet your heroes. I'm right. Because like you don't ever know, you know, especially kind of like what day they're having. But similarly, like as a fan, how that could impact their day. It's such a weird dichotomy or something between like celebrities and fans. So now do you feel like you kind of get that same kind of hate? Because that was kind of your debut into... I got... I think, and I think the other wives can attest to this, I got the most hate all the time. Like all out of the time. Out of any member of the back yeah, boys, and, like partners. And it's also too because I never um, adhered or molded myself to anything that I was supposed to be. Um, I didn't take pictures when I was supposed to. I didn't uh, stand in a shot and um, portray myself in a certain way when I was supposed to. I always would step back and let Nick take front and center um and so sometimes people would be like oh she's not supportive 
or oh, they're in a fight. Or, or but then if I would do a picture, oh, look, she's just in it for the photos and the celebrity. Or if I did dress up, oh, she knew these pictures were being taken and she's trying to. It's like nothing I did could I have won. So I never did anything. I just lived and was me. And um, how rock and roll of you. <laughs> I know <laughs> what I did mean. me. That and makes sense. Um, yeah. So after you guys meet, you're dating, you're like fully immersed in this fandom stardom. How did you, speaking on that, keep your sense of identity? Because like we talked about, you've done some acting, you have, I saw that there's like a workout stint. Like what are, what were the years that those things happened? So um, when Nick and I got together, it became apparent right away that we wanted to be with each other. And because Nick is who he is and, um, and is always on tour and has this extraordinary life, it was always known that I would have to give up anything I was doing and go with him on tour for us to have a relationship. So we had those conversations like, look, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm traveling, you know, 300 days out of the year. Wow. And if for us to have a relationship, like you have to come with me. Um, we didn't have FaceTime back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it wasn't the same type of communication. And it was such a new relationship and we wanted to spend time together. So that was the choice that I made was to support him and go with him through wherever he was going. And in order to do that, I also, um, and I'm very open about this. I was like, look, I'm putting my life on hold with no guarantee of this ever being a success. Cause we dated, a, we, we were together five years before we even got engaged. Wow. And, um, so that means living with him, um, living, you know, using my own resources as long as they lasted, but then depending on him to like get my hair done, my nails done, buy groceries, you know, get clothes because I was no longer working. And that's tough when you're independent, like you, I mean, it's tough for anyone, but especially someone like you had your own house in LA, like you had all of your own things. So that is like, that's a huge sacrifice for yeah. a woman who's totally financially independent before. So we came up with a plan to, that he would um, pay me, a, I think it was, I don't remember what it was. It was like um, $3,500, like $3,500 a month cash. And then he, every month he would just pay my credit card off. Like whatever I was going to spend, it was a spend. But that 3500 was given to me to do whatever I wanted with it. Um, so that if our relationship didn't work out for however long that lasted, that I would have a nest egg or something. I think <laughs> that is so smart and it's so fair. Like that is such a huge sacrifice that you're literally like departing from your life that way. That's, it's almost well, like we a, had a full on contract. Like we went to, I to his manager's that. office and we're like, look, we're going to have a, a, uh, a living agreement yeah and like i'm not entitled to anything if we separate like i'm not going to take his assets but um we're, i'm not you know this is what it is i get this much and he's going to pay my credit card and there's no end date unless we separate and this is how we wanted to structure it and so i That's took so that smart. opportunity to invest the money 